Father, Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you saw us through this week. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings and the ways that you watch over us. Uh, we pray, God, that, uh, Lord, as we begin a new week, uh, Lord, that we would here on this Lord's Day, that we would set a tone of, of worship and praise in our own lives. Lord, that you would draw us all nearer to you. And, uh, God, that through us as your as part of your church, a local body of believers, Lord, that you would exalt Christ Jesus, that you would make him famous in our community, Lord, that the gospel would be spread and that we would do your will for your honor, your glory, and your praise. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I've got um, a few announcements this morning. Um, well, first, let me turn it over to Jeannie. She said she had an announcement. Yes. 
First of all, thank you all for trusting me with Bible school yet again this year. If you don't know, I'm very excited about Bible school. Get very excited about it. I'm going to stay very excited about it. <laughs> Second of all, ladies and gentlemen, this is not your uh, genie said to go make an Amazon order. But if you do make an Amazon order and you get a package in with a box about this size or maybe a little larger, if you will bring it to the church for me to use, I will take your free materials. Also, if you get the bags that look like this, this becomes a very handy-dandy vine for me to hang, so if you'll bring that to me, um, or the packing paper that comes in it, I would appreciate it. Um, if you have green tissue paper of any color or size laying around and you would like to bring that to me, I would appreciate it. Big paper bags from Food Lion, or if somebody out there, I love the phrase, I know a guy, somebody out there has somebody that's a friend with a carpet person that has the big paper rolls like this. If you have those, I need them. I have a thing I want to make. It, we can live without it, but I have a thing I would really like to make, and I know there's something out there for free that I can get. And Rupert thinks I'm insane, but I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me your trash is what I'm saying. That's what I heard. Yeah. That's, a, that, when she, that's what I heard. Bring a bunch of trash Bring to the church trash. house. And I uh, will decorate this church. <laughs> oh, mercy. We were just having a conversation about trying to get our little ones to, to be cleaner in the church and be nicer. Now Jeannie's like, bring all your garbage. Oh, this is going to be difficult for me. I am, I am a throw-it-away personality. In fact, if we get an Amazon box, I usually have that thing burned within five minutes of cutting the room. Oh, mercy. Okay, y'all help Jeannie out. I don't want to see any trash around here, though. Hide it. Um, all right, let me make a few announcements here. March 17th, we're doing the Tables of Eight Fellowship. And I know this is not something the church has done before. This is going to be a lot of fun. There are sign-up sheets in the back. We're only doing that so that we can get a head count. We want everybody to come. Bring somebody if you want to, but names do need to go on there. So if you've not signed up, please sign up. Um, be here before you know it. We're really looking forward to that. And also on March 23rd, uh, we will have an Easter egg hunt. And uh, this has been a fun time for our church in the past. And um, if you have any complaints that you'd like to file about calling it Easter instead of Resurrection Sunday and looking for eggs, you can file those with my wife here. But, but seriously, it's just a good time, and we will share the gospel at that gathering, and we will take prayer requests and encourage uh, our, well, I'll start to say brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if they're not um, saved, we will encourage them, and we'll invite folks to church. So it's a good outreach opportunity for our church and a good time of fellowship um, for those of us in the body. Um, on March 31st, we'll have our sunrise service, so be mindful of that. You can come at the regular time if you want to, but it'll be pretty empty around here. So you might want to make a note of March 31st, and that's a pretty early um, Easter service. But we will be uh, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior that day. It is, um, I don't know, maybe it's the high point in the Christian calendar. It is a wonderful time of year, and we are so looking forward to it. Just as a reminder, we will have breakfast that day. Um, and we will, we will also be um, observing the Lord's table. So um, a wonderful service indeed. And of course, you'll have to get up early for it, but it'll be worth it. Um, don't wear your pajamas to church, though. Okay, <laughs> no, we're not, a, we're not a dress code church, but uh, uh, anyway. Um, the Creation Museum and Art Trip is approaching quickly, uh, April 3rd through 6th. And... Um, Vacation Bible School is already in here, and uh, that's June 9th through 13th. Those will be in your bulletin. I'm probably not going to cover them next week, um, but be mindful of them. Are there any other announcements that need to be made before we look at some prayer requests? 
All right, well then, um, let, let us remember um, each other in prayer as we go through uh, our week. Uh, remember to pray for this country in which we are situated. Um, I think there are two great crimes when we consider our nation in churches, and one is to be um, a political arm as a church. We're not. We're Christ's bride. We uh, do the work of Christ. But the other mistake is to not care enough and uh, so we do want to care about this country and the direction of this country, the leadership that we have, and um, pray that we are a godly country. Let me rephrase that. Pray that we be a more godly country. Um, we want to pray for uh, young people in our community in particular. This was uh, brought up by somebody a week or two ago, and children have to deal with so much, and uh, we should all remember to pray for the young people in our church, in our lives. Um, the ones that if they're not well behaved will be getting spankings later. Um, but uh, remember, we have several that are going through cancer treatments. And I've hardly spoken to anybody this morning, um, so I haven't gotten any updates. Does anybody want to give any updates on anybody? Or, or, or let's just open it up to prayer requests and updates right now. Anybody up here? Miss Rosa? I absolutely want to thank you all for your prayers for Kenneth. He is doing great. Everything's just going as planned, like the surgeon said. So he's got no more cancer and no radiation or chemo is needed. He's doing fine. Praise Thank the Lord. And the love offering paid all those copays. Thank you. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, and anybody else? Any other updates? Uh, Joseph Dixon, I put him on there. He had a rotator cuff surgery. He's doing great. He's back at work. Um, Harris has got to go for a procedure Thursday, um, so keep him in your prayers. He'll be there uh, getting worked on a little bit. Um, Dockery's home. Uh, pray for that, that his health would be, that he, he would do well, that his breathing um, wouldn't cause him any issues, that he'd be able to breathe freely. Uh, pray for all those that are going through uh, cancer treatments. Um, Carol Beeman is not here this morning, but she let me know that her brother, Robert Parks, who has been in very poor health for a very long time, um, he had to have more of his leg amputated. And so he only has one leg at all. He'll, pro he'll never walk again. There's no way to do a prosthetic. And um, he, he is very sick. And so just pray for him and pray for... He's got some family things that are going on at this same time. Very difficult situation. Uh, remember Gary Mabe... Um, who is, uh, they discovered a mass in his stomach. Are you waiting to uh, give him a scheduled day here to uh, have surgery? Okay. And he has uh, cancer with it, so yeah. Okay. See what happens. All right, so remember, remember him. Um, with the others that have cancer, Hawk Owens, uh, my grandmother, Wilda Medford, Brandon Bridges' father, whose name I don't know, Logan Belt, um, uh, also, of course, Jackie Howe. And um, uh, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention? My grandson Curtis is going to a heart doctor tomorrow. Um, they discovered at a regular appointment, and they think it's something hereditary, and hopefully won't cause him any trouble or go out for the find out tomorrow. How old's Curtis now? He'll be 11. 11. Okay. Let's pray for Curtis. Albert? Okay. Yeah, seems like he's got to go ever so often to have that. 
Say again. All right. Where is sunscreen? All right. Well, we'll be praying for you, okay? All right. Wonderful. That's exciting. I don't think so. I uh, I was actually asking my kids about uh, children the other day, and I said, how many kids are you going to have? And whoever said the higher number, I got more excited. And uh, now I've told them they each owe me 11. Can you all believe that? <laughs> Naomi asked, she said, how many years will it take to have 11 children? <laughs> Oh, mercy. They are a blessing. Uh, a wonderful blessing. All right, well, with that, let's go. To, huh? Yes, and he is on here. Nick Smith, this is the young man that had a, was it a heart transplant or a lung transplant? A heart. A heart transplant, and he has not woken up, as I understand. So, would you say he's in a coma? Is that? Sort of. They're trying to remove some tubes. Okay. Yeah. Th things have not gone the way that they've planned. That's right. And so, but there is a great prayer need here. And, um, and I prayed for him this morning. I, I'm sorry I forgot to mention, but this is, this is some, I don't know how many people in here know him. I don't, but he needs our prayers and we, we should be lifting his name up. Uh, Brother Tedder, Robbie. Amen. Amen. Yep. But it has to be, it has to be fought for, doesn't it? Yeah. That's right. Um, okay. Unspoken. How, how about a show of hands for unspokens? We should do it every Sunday. Yeah, some people have to. Amen. Uh, well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And uh, let's pray for all of these. And just remember to pray for each other as we go throughout our week. And uh, Mitchell, could I ask you to pray for us? Hey, Father, Lord, we come this morning again. Thanking you for the blessings of life. And Lord, we've set a time aside this time, Lord, coming and lifting <coughs> prayer requests up, Lord. And we come praying one for another and praying for those, Lord, that have been mentioned this morning. Lord, as we listen, we realize that there's many needs upon families here. Not only sickness, Lord, but many other things going on in their lives, Lord, and we come to you, Lord, because we know that you're the healer. Lord, you're the instrumentalist one that can straighten out all conditions and all problems in life, Lord, and we just lift all these things up to you, Lord. We lift uh, so many things up to you, Lord. Our hearts become heavy at times, and Lord, we listened while the sickness is on our hearts are heavy, but Lord, we know that you're a healing God, that Lord, you're touching lives, and healing is doing that, becoming and happening every day, Lord, and we just thank you so much for that. We ask you to be in this hour, Lord, be with the pastors who bring the message in song, be with the choir, the music, that be one that doesn't know you, that just be the hour that they come to know you today. We ask, Lord, that you give us, a, <coughs> Lord, the word we need for this week, Lord, to lead and direct us food for our soul, Lord. 
And as we lift your name up in praise today, Lord, we just give you the honor and praise for everything that you've done in our lives. For this we ask in thy name's sake. Amen. I forgot something. I think. Do we have a member moment? All right, I forgot all about it. Has the has it been flashing up there? All right, if you didn't see this is and and most people know Albert and Robin. They're sitting right back here, and I didn't even tell them that they were going to be in the member moment this morning. We just did it. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> no. It, this is a we love this picture. We just went see. This is the what happens in the social media age. We can just go online and steal your picture off there. We don't even have to ask. Um, but, but let me just say that uh, Albert and Robin are faithful members. They love this church. They, and I, mean, I mean, they don't love the building. They love the people of this church. And uh, they pray for this church. And uh, so when you get a chance this morning, when we're shaking hands, um, if you don't know them, say hey to them and, uh, and love on them, all right? All right, with that, we'll sing a song here.
All right. Well, while the uh, little ones dismiss the children's church, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your copy of God's Word and turn back to 1 John. We will be continuing our study in 1 John, and in fact, we will be finishing chapter 3. We'll be taking a little bit bigger uh, piece of Scripture than we normally do, uh, so we've got a lot to cover here. Um, I don't think that you'll be surprised to know that the topic is the one of, of Christian love. Um, if there is a biblical author, though the whole Bible is authored by the Holy Spirit, but if we can speak of it in terms of its human authors, if there's one that focuses on love, it is certainly John. And uh, so in this passage, we will consider what true love is. And I think in the day and age in which we live one that is so influenced by the world that we must, we must remember that love is defined by God. Not because God is loving, but because God is love. And so today as we uh, look at this passage, we will see that love should flow from God to His redeemed. But we will admit that uh, love is something that has great complexity. And uh, we can say that we have a, a unique love to our spouse. Uh, we are also called to love our neighbor. And by the way, the Bible even says that we should love our enemies, something that is, I think, that we can all admit quite difficult at times. Uh, Christ himself said, You have heard it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. A difficult high bar indeed, the love of Christ, the, the love, by the way, that is commanded to us. But make no mistake, uh, Jesus does not say that we love all people in exactly the same way. And I'm going to say the same to you about the very love of God, that those that have a true belief, a saving faith in God Almighty, by trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, that you are special objects of His love in a way that others cannot claim. Because when He looks upon you, He looks upon the very righteousness of Christ in you and loves you as a son. But we need to be reminded to love because it's not natural. And John has done that already. I'll remind you that a few weeks ago we read that whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we are called to be a people of love. And by the way, in particular, towards our brothers. That is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need this uh, so much at a time and in a, in a world where people are so confused about love. Uh, where we have the idea, and, and by the way, I, I blame Disney and I blame Hollywood for making love just a feeling. And in fact, I think many people... Uh, when they think of love, they think of something that is really more like a drug addiction, something that has these great emotional highs and lows where their body truly is dumping chemicals, uh, endorphins, and, and, and they're addicted to what we should really call toxic relationships. And we will see today that that's not love. 
That to know true love, you must know God. And if you want to see what true love really is, to look no further than Jesus Christ Himself. I want to ask you all to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read 1 John. And we're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 11. And we will finish chapter 3. It says, beginning in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm reminded as we study something as difficult as the love of Christ what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, and in his own style with uh, great intellect and a way with words that I don't have, uh, he, he would often preach with his own musings. And he said, if you told me that God pitied us, I could believe it. Or that he had mercy on us, I could understand it. But when we read that he actually loves us, I find it almost inconceivable. To know that an eternal and thrice holy God set his love on that which was sinful and fallen in all of its ways and loved us to change is beyond understanding. And this first point that we must consider, and I hope that you'll take this to heart, and that is simply that Christian love is not natural. It is supernatural. You know, there's a reason that we are commanded to love. It's the same reason that we command our children to pick up their mess, to be nice to each other, because it's not natural. And even in the Christian, Christian love is not natural, but supernatural. Now, I do want to point out that he says here in this very passage, he says that this is what you have heard from the beginning, and I believe that he means the beginning of Christ's ministry. Christ taught love from the start, and he elevated love. He made it I'm just going to be honest. He made it impossible. 
He made it impossible. None of us can love exactly the way that Christ has commanded. And yet we should still strive to do so with all that is in us. And he said in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another. And you might be thinking, well, that's not a new command. But it's what Jesus says after that that makes this command impossible. I remind you that he says, As I, that is, as Jesus, as I, Jesus, have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I have to uh, say that I've never heard a Christian tell another, I love you just like Jesus does. And don't start doing that today because you don't. But that's the command that's been given, and it is what we should strive for. But it is not natural, but supernatural. Uh, John Gill reminds us, uh, to which the command of Christ, the reason with which it is enforced, and the early notice of it, we should engage. Christ gave the command. The apostles proclaimed it, and they teached it, and they, they taught it, and they preached it. And they, it's, it's virtually, well, it's throughout the New Testament. And Christians are to be a people of love. And by the way, what does the world, what is their number one complaint against Christians? It's that they're not loving. Now, in some of those cases, they're just twisting uh, words. They're playing word games. But I want to be really honest here. And I want to say that hate is what's natural. Hate and variance and strife and arguing and contention. This is what's natural. Isn't it natural? Everybody's, nobody's going to agree. They just want to duck their head. It is, though, isn't it? It's so easy to get your feelings hurt, to get offended, to start an argument. And you know, we do see that in the world, and it is worldly, but I'm going to tell you that sometimes churches are just as bad. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is uh, read 1 Corinthians or read James. And this is what James said to a church, to churches, not just one. It's not like there was one bad church. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see the same theme here that James uh, speaks of. Um, almost echoing John. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, he is pointing out that which we so often fail at, and that's that we don't love as Christ loves. Now, by the way, I have to say this for sake of the culture in which we live, because we live in a day and age where people say, you must be tolerant to be loving. Can I tell you that many times being tolerant is one of the most unloving things that you can do? And that is because with love, hate is paired. It's the, the, the distinction is in what it is pointed at. For example, if you love righteousness, then you hate unrighteousness. You can't love them both, for they are opposites. And by the way, we have read here that... Uh, the world hates. The world hated Jesus, and so the world will hate us. And so we should expect some hatred to be pointed at us, especially if we love righteousness and hate sin. And if we love Christ, then it makes it really difficult to love those that hate Christ. 
And, uh, you know, I see even these sort of love and hate battles take place in the very country in which we are situated. If you love your freedoms, if you love the parts, the things about this country that are built upon Judeo-Christian beliefs and values and morals, then you hate things, you must, that oppose them. There's no way around it. And by the way, well, just let me say this. It's easy to hate. And so let us not fall into patterns of hate, but rather search for love. But let us recognize that tolerance is not love. In fact, it is many times the most unloving. You want me to give you the best example of how tolerance is not love? The idea that all religions are equal, and if you're sincere in what you believe, it's okay. And the world would say you must be tolerant and let people believe thusly. But I want to tell you that if somebody says, well, I just believe that God's a big bottle of energy and that when we die, we get to go to heaven because we sincerely believe something. And if you say, well, good for you, go on in believing, then you know what you have done? You have just encouraged them on their road to hell. If you really love someone, you must proclaim the truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one way of salvation, that it is in true belief in the man Christ Jesus and that you must repent of your sins and believe in him. So the example here that we have is the one of Cain and Abel. And let me just say this. Where does hate come from? It comes from death. Now you might think I got that backwards. I didn't get that. It comes from death. And Ephesians says that while you were dead in trespasses and sins, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and those are the people that hate, people that don't know God, do not know love. And so uh, the example that we're given here, um, by the way, I hope that we will all agree I'm not talking about defense of life. I'm not talking about wartime, uh, killing in wartime, but murder. The killing of someone else for your own selfish... We, we admit that this is well, it's an abomination. It is extremely sinful. How much more the killing of one's own brother? Uh, fratricide. And this is exactly what Cain did. And so the scripture here uses him as an example and it says that this is what we should not be like. And I want you to know that it says he is a murderer. Same things that James said. And by the way, he is a murderer. He committed murder. But before murder, there was hatred. And I believe that hatred leads to more sin. You know, sometimes um, when I'm working, I'll put in little earphones and I'll listen to 48 hours and there, 48 Hours, uh, those of you that are familiar, you know the show. It's usually a murder mystery, a whodunit type of thing. And so many times they will explore the life of somebody that has committed such abominations that you can't even see them as human. But I'm going to tell you what's a wonderful experience for the human condition to have, to listen to the life of somebody that seems, quote, completely normal, and then to find out that under the surface... Because of hatred in their heart, they lived a life that was just, it can be described as nothing but darkness. Now, most of the time, when you hear about somebody that commits all sorts of atrocities, your first thought is what I said previously. It's to say, well, I'm nothing like them. How can anybody be like that? But I would dare say that if you look at what you have in common, you can see that there is really only one difference between you, and it is the very love of Jesus Christ. That it is the human condition to be one of hatred. That in our heart of hearts, more of us are like Cain than we are like Abel. Hateful and murderous. By the way, Cain, 
You know what his real issue was? He thought he knew best. He thought he knew how to worship God. He thought he knew better than God. Now look at the society. Look at churches in this day and age. Are they not just like Cain? Hardened hearts, envious, uh, jealous, selfish, driven by emotions rather than truth. The Bible says this. It says, And Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Christian, the same is true today. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, one of the verses that we read here this morning... It says that whoever does not love abides in death. Can I say it this way? Whoever does not love is still dead, never having tasted true life. Now in Ephesians, again, it says that you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And the dead men are unsaved men. They are unregenerate men. They are men that know not God nor Christ nor the love of. But you are not them. The church is not like them. And what does that tell us but that we must have to, to have this victory, we must have Christ. And so secondly, I would like to point to the very fact that Christian love flows not from the Christian, but from Christ. Now, I'll say it this way quite simply, that our knowledge or our understanding of love is based upon the cross. This is, in fact, that's what this passage says. It says... By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. What an amazing thought. Now, if you just, if you just take that as the words, you'll miss it. And this is one of those moments where uh, this cannot be preached. You must know him to understand this. You must know that love. You must, if I can say it this way, have gone in your own mind's eye to Calvary to understand such a thing. And the, the, If I could transport you in time, and if I could take you to the very garden of Gethsemane, and I could show you Jesus, and if you could see him as he really is, God, God of God, eternally God, but yet man, and able to feel pain and weakness, and I could show you him laying on his face in the garden, and I picture his hands trembling as he prays to God, and it says in, in the scriptures that he sweat as it were great drops of blood, and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I'm going to tell you that it was not possible that that cup pass because of the great love with which he loved us. And he had already set his face like a flint towards Calvary. And that if you could see him, the king of kings, perfectly holy, full of grace, and he was spit upon and he was beaten with rods, and he was mocked, and they placed a crown of thorns upon his head, and they beat it into his brow. And if I could show you the pillar where he was bound, and the only sinless flesh that ever walked the face of this earth was flayed for the sins of your flesh and my flesh, that Jesus Christ, the only one who was holy, harmless, and undefiled, and he was beaten within an inch of his life, and that he did this for you, that he did this so that your sins could be forgiven. And he interposed his precious blood on your behalf. 
And if I could show you Jesus Christ as he carried that cross and he laid the cross down and then he laid himself down and he stretched his arms out and I can almost picture his face as the nails were driven through his hands and through his feet. And if you can look at that and you can see that he did that, not because he was some sort of victim, but because he chose to be there so that he could win you to the Father, so that your sin debt could be paid. And that when that cross was lifted up and dropped into a hole with his arms stretched out and he hung there and suffered on your behalf. And he said, why have you forsaken me? That he was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. And I wish that you could know that when he cried out, into your hands I commit my spirit and that he died the death that you deserve because Jesus could do something that we can't. Jesus is the only one that could say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down because I have the power to take it up again. So you see, it's, uh, and I'll tell you that I'd heard the story about the crucifixion all my life. And maybe I'd even heard preachers talk about how it was the perfect picture of love, the love of God towards a lost humankind, and that he was begging them to come to him. The spirit and the bride say, come. But I'll tell you this, when I first got saved, it became very personal. And I'm going to tell you, I used to sit there and I would think on the crucifixion and I would weep. And it would trouble my heart and I would think, how can this be? But little by little... As I lived my Christian life, I began to understand that while it looks like a tragedy, because Christ is not just a man, but God incarnate, that the tragedy is a triumph. Part of his plan from the foundation of the world, and this scripture says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Now, you need to say that to yourself in a very personal way. By this, I know love that Christ died for me. Can you say that? Do you know this truth? To know it is to know the very love of God. Now, the scriptures say here, know this love and do nothing else. It doesn't say that, does it? It says that we should love as he loved. Let me read it again. It says, and by this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know what? He was willing to die for us. His love, completely and totally sacrificial, holding back nothing but giving all. And we are called to love as he loved. That's tough. Are you willing to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Tough, isn't it? You know, what I have seen of the nature of man is that most will not lay down their pride. Most will not lay down their ego. Most will not lay down their preferences. And I'm just talking about the thermostat. But the Bible says we should lay down our lives. Be willing to forsake all for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be loving by the way, there's a difference between uh, being loving and doing what's loving. I'll let you sit on that for a minute. Be loving. Don't just do what you think is loving. Be loving. You know, love is described, and I want you to know that it's an action word. It's a verb. We read about it in 1 Corinthians. And uh, 
Let me hurt everybody's feelings here. I remember when somebody first uh, pointed this out as a way to test your love, Rupert. This is how you find out if you're loving. He said, put your name in here where it says love is patient and kind. Put your name in there. Rupert is patient and kind. Did anybody get past the first part of that, by the way? It's a, it is such a high bar, and it's supposed to slay you so that you will strive all the more to love like Christ. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You know what we do? We make excuses. Well, yeah, I'm irritable. Yes, I'm resentful, but it's because... The Bible doesn't give you room for that, though, does it? It says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Love never ends. You know, when John writes about love, this is what he's writing about. He's not writing about a Hollywood conception of love. He's talking about Christian love, true love, the love of Christ. In this passage that we read, it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now, let me be clear here before somebody takes it too far. This does not say, if you have a house and somebody's homeless, you have to give them your house. It's not talking about uh, changing places with somebody that doesn't deserve it because they didn't work for it. But can I put it this way? If you have the world's goods, if you have something that's a need and you can supply need, then supply need. Not at your own detriment, not to cost your family what uh, you need to be providing for your family, which your family's first. The Bible says that he who does not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. But nevertheless, that does not give us an excuse to be selfish and to be greedy and to do whatever we want from our own heart's desires. We're supposed to be compassionate. We're supposed to love truly, sacrificially, and as it says here, not just in word, but in deed. And in truth. So we are called to be loving. And by the way, the only way to be loving is to by first and foremost to be in love with Christ. You know, if somebody ever asks me, and this happens once in a while, what's the best piece of marriage advice that you can, can give? It is to take all of your energy, all that you've got, and to focus it on Jesus Christ. You think, well, your poor old wife, she's just kind of left out in the cold there, isn't she? No. The best version of your marriage is when the husband is focused intensely on Jesus Christ and when the wife is focused intensely on Jesus Christ. Promise. Promise. Don't believe me? Try it. So the only love is by being first in love with Christ. And then lastly, let me just point out that Christian love is grounded in true belief in Jesus Christ. Um, for this, I want to point to... Verses 19 through 24, it talks about, by the way, this is some of that uh, Baptist language that makes people skin crawl sometimes when it starts talking about our heart. Uh, but this is what it says. This is God's word, his inspired word. It says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You know, the, if you look down in verse 23, this is what it says, and this is what it really all boils down to. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. I'm going to tell you, and this is not a suggestion, we can't love one another 
if we don't first believe. And the greatest sin that can be committed is the sin of unbelief. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is the sin of unbelief. In Ephesians 3.17, it does say, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now look, if Christ rules the kingdom that is the human heart, your heart, then he rules all your life. He's got you. Because the head follows the heart. Now look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to follow your heart any more than I'm going to turn into one of these preachers that says, just ask Jesus into your heart. I don't even know what people are saying sometimes when they say that. The Bible is real clear that salvation comes when you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So my version of evangelism is repent and believe the gospel. Because that's what John the Baptist said. That's what Jesus said. And does that mean that when you do that, that Christ comes to live in your heart? Yes, it does mean that. And we don't have to shy away from that because the apostles didn't. But what does it really mean? It means that you are sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ. That you are 100% totally His and that you love Him and that you adore Him above all else in this life. That you would forsake all for Him if it came to it. And guess what? Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes it does come to it. I had somebody ask me one time, they said, what is the cost of becoming a Christian? And I knew with my Southern Baptist upbringing, I was supposed to say nothing. It's free. You know what I said? Everything. It will cost you everything. It will change who you are. It will change how you think. You will be undone by the love of Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to pay everything, you're not His. The true Christian would give all. Now, this talks about your heart being reassured. Let me just say this. You will never have a good, clear conscience in life if you're not Christ's. If you don't, as it says, have true belief and keep His commandments. Now look, I'm just going to be honest. People go through life, some people that sit in church pews every day, and their life is marked by guilt. Their life is marked by angst. Their life is marked by depression. Their life is corrupted by intoxicating substances because there are things that they are trying to forget. And it's because they are living in rebellion. They are doing what Adam and Eve did. They are hiding from God in their sin. They're living a lie. You'll never have a clear conscience if you don't first have true belief. And as it says here, obey His commandments. You can't obey His commandments if you don't have true belief. Now true belief here, by the way, is tied to true love. Let me read 23 and 24. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You can't love one another if you don't first believe in Christ Jesus. Just as He has commanded us, whoever keeps His commandments, specifically this one, abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. You know, I... Uh, I get real nervous when the world starts talking about love. It was not been that long ago that there was a particular group that used this phrase, love wins, as the mantra of their ideological, political campaign. And when they said love wins, can I tell you what they, were, what they really meant? They meant lust wins. Do not confuse the two brothers and sisters. Love does win. 
because ultimately God triumphs over all evil. He triumphs over all evil as all things are put under the very feet of Christ. And in Christ, the believer, the one that has true belief, is made into a new creature. And it says that we abide in him and he abides in us. And this, this is that unity that we have in Christ, this oneness, this complete agreement with him. In fact, I saw an interview the other day. I don't know who this was, some celebrity. And somebody was trying to get her to say something contrary. And guess what? I don't think she knew everything in the Bible. Guess what? I don't either. Don't tell anybody. But you know what she said? She said, I agree with whatever the Bible says. That's a good place to start. Because there's some things in there that will hurt your feelings and they'll get all over your toes. There'll be some things in here, and I had to admit it to myself. I remember saying, God, I don't really like that. But guess what? That didn't make it any less true. And so you accept it as truth and move on in unity with Christ, having His Spirit dwelling in you. And so in conclusion, what are we to do knowing the love of Christ? The Bible says that we're to love one another the way that He loves us. In a day and age when the very definition of love is confusing and corrupted and people talk about, you might hear somebody say this this week, getting your love tank filled up. And they usually mean, I'm going to get along with my wife and we're going to spend some time together. If you really want your love tank filled up, you go to Calvary. If you really want to understand love, you go to King Jesus who laid down His life for us. And as sinners... We are saved by grace, so we must glorify Him by abiding in Him, by loving the brethren, by being generous when we can. By not, it doesn't even say closing your hand in need. It says closing your heart. We must obey God and enjoy Him. And all of this is founded on a true belief in Christ Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the words of the Apostle John, knowing that they are superintended by Your very Holy Spirit, and God, they cut us to the core as they show us that our love does not measure up. And so God, we pray first and foremost that we would know and understand your love towards us. And that if we could just have some measure of attaining the love that you show us, that we would first then begin to love each other. To see each other as your children, loved by you, saved by grace. And Lord, that when we look on our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church that we would remember that they are special objects of your love. And God, I know that with differences in personality, Lord, we know that there are things that come up. We pray that because we are all bound together by your Holy Spirit, by one faith, by one baptism, Lord, we pray that that bond would be a bond of peace, that it would unite us. Lord, that we would not see our differences, but we would see what we have in common. Lord, that we would cling to the truth, that we would love in spirit and truth. And God, it is our heart's desire that you would use this church, this body of believers to glorify yourself. That you would use this body of believers to evangelize the county in which we are situated. That we would glorify Christ Jesus in all that we say, do, and think. We ask all this in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. And we're going to have a hymn of invitation. I, uh, we always set this couple minutes aside at the end of service. And this is not an opportunity where you come and tell the preacher if he did something for you. This is an opportunity for you to reflect on what God has spoken to you through His Word. 
You know, preachers can say things wrong, but God's Word never does. It's always true. It's always perfect. And the Bible says that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It got me this morning. It got me yesterday as I studied it, and I know that I don't love the way that I'm supposed to love. I can't love like Jesus, but we're commanded to do everything within our power to love like Jesus, to be patient, to be kind. And so this is just an opportunity for self-reflection. And as Miss Betty Sue plays, if you're here today and you believe that God has laid a burden on your heart and you want to come and tell the preacher this is your opportunity to do so,